It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey folks, welcome back to a special edition, and indeed special is the word we're going to use, of American Loser. It's the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. I'm your host, K.P. Burke. I've been in a car accident in the Bronx. My co-host has been passing kidney stones for the last couple of days. My delf of a dad, you're a hurting guy right now. Thank yeah, you for a little, uh, little uncomfortable. We'll we'll put it that way mildly. I hear you, and not just you know with his sexuality, uncomfortable and <laughs> it's a physical <laughs> thing go. here. Oh my God, this one's wild. Um, I'm having a shit week. You're having a shit week. Uh, as listeners know, I plugged on the podcast. Was going to be going out to Austin, Texas. Very excited about it. Um, without giving anything away, there was the idea of exploring the possibility of moving there um but that'll have to wait because i was one of spirit airlines 227 cancellations as i walked through security at newark airport and um they really haven't figured out what the fuck to do yet so <laughs> that got shot to shit uh my brand new car got rear-ended in the bronx the other day uh my father's trying to pass some kidney stones he's on all sorts of painkillers and muscle relaxers and thankfully though we woke up this morning to come down and record and uh, we decided to push it. Kahuna was good to us. He let us reschedule for later in the day. Um, and I am blown away by this because of our timing. Yes, we got stuck in an hour of traffic. We got into the place. My father's having a hard time moving around. I'm a little bit frazzled. And apparently there's a concert going on at the Bell Works where we would have a snowball's chance in hell <laughs> of getting any word out whatsoever into this very, very content heavy podcast. And that's when the hero came along. You guys may know him as the Big Kahuna. We know him as Mech Kahuna, as in MacGyver Kahuna. <laughs> yeah. The knight in shining armor. He really is. Thank you so much, brother, for this episode. Does it, None of the episodes happen without you. This one was a wash without you. Oh, man, I appreciate that. But, so, like, I felt so bad because I know how far you guys come to record these. <laughs> <laughs> and and honestly, it's like, why waste it? Like, you handed me a 20. And I was like, I ain't, I ain't letting this slide. That's like, not true, Ming. That's not true. I didn't have any extra money. I don't bribe him for favors <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's always a pleasure to see y'all well, and, and i wasn't missing a chance to record an episode of american loser well we're downstairs in a conference room with a remote set up here ming this man deserves a raise he's doing wonderful things very very proud of him uh so we're going to dive into the topic so i can go ahead and get this out for you guys all right because we do have some announcements coming on later on down the road but we ain't going to get to them today so let me set the stage for you this story is a good one um, and it's an important one, too, because people think we live in a day and age right now where you get to, I mean, there's a, an, an aura of safety, maybe. There's this idea of safety that when it gets violated, we're shocked. But this is, you know, back in the day to want to show you just how risky certain positions in life are. Um, there's going to be a feud that we're going to talk about today for a second here. That feud will be settled on January 19th, 1903. 1903. Okay. Kahuna, you won't know this one, I guarantee you. I won't. There's no chance you're going to get this date because we didn't know that. I was looking for an example of something like this. And as I was going through the list, and by the way, the list was, uh, just to give away the idea of the story here, journalists killed uh, for their work in America. 
And a couple of names really jumped out at me. There's some really good ones. Um, this guy's name popped for some reason, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive in on him here. He's pretty interesting. Hmm. Is this gonna be one of those cases where he's not actually a loser, or is it like, oh, this dude um, losing in a? a He's got such an unf- uh, an unfortunate series of events have, uh, are about to befall him. <laughs> there you go. All right, Lemony Snicket, let's yeah, get into that, this story. Well, he's uh, he's contending with me, I would say, until the very final end of the story. Uh, he's having as shitty of a week uh, on this particular week in January of 1903 as I'm having right now in August of 2021. Does it end with his death? Um, I mean, what well, we said, uh, if you're looking on Everybody a list of... dies sometime or other. <laughs> <laughs> 1903, you better hope. Figure that one out. Because I'm like, if it end, if the week ends with his death, I'm like, KP, it can't be that bad. <laughs> it's, uh, well, in 1903, he will unfortunately meet his maker. Uh, as with most feuds, though, both parties were uh, very aware that they were feuding, but one party caught the other by total surprise. So this guy's got one of the coolest names I've ever heard, man. This is a, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, a uh, Dumont Larry. You want to take a crack at how to pronounce this guy's well, name? I don't know about that one, but I'm going to go with Narciso Janer Gonzalez. Janer. I like that he went Janer. I was going to Henner, you know, because sometimes the, the G's turn Yeah, into, well, that's first. What was the first name? Nar- Narciso. 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 Oh, yeah. We're calling him Narcan for the rest of this episode. <laughs> I thought about that. I thought the Narc man, Narc baby, you know. Narcnado. Well, I like Narcnado. <laughs> <laughs> I like this guy's name of Narciso here. He's a very well-known journalist, and uh, he's the owner of a paper called The State. That's the newspaper that he has. So imagine he had like a a, a Fox News or MSNBC show where it would be like, welcome to the Narciso factor, you know, and it's just him sitting there yelling into a camera. I mean, that's what he is kind of for his time here. Yeah, he was also kind of the the editorialist for the... uh for the newspaper of the state. That's so. the advantage of when you own your own newspaper. Right. You print whatever you want. Right. More on that. You guys know where to look, Willie. <laughs> uh, so he is going to be, unfortunately, Narciso will be shot in broad daylight uh, by a man that had been the focal point of many of his writings at the state, a guy by the name of James H. Tillman. So Tillman, that's a pretty, if you're any listeners in South Carolina, they probably know a little bit about uh, the Tillmans or Tillmanism. So it's kind of like their political machine down here as we're going to cover. Can you, so can you give like two minute recap on what that would be for the, what the Tillman? Til- Til- oh, we're going to dive straight in, brother. Oh, it's not going to go more than two minutes. The bulk of the story is figuring out what this Tillman thing is and why it got our friend Narciso Henner Gonzalez shot. Killed. Yep. Shot in the back by Buford Tannen over a matter of $80. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, in order to uh, get into the idea of the Tillmans, we're going to have to figure it out here. James's father, because James Tillman's the guy who pulls the trigger here. His father was George D. Tillman, a representative to the U.S. from South Carolina. Uh, James's uncle is the infamous Ben Tillman, who uh, LP's done some research on we're going to get into here. One look at Ben Tillman's photo, by the way, and I think it's safe to say, Dad, you're going to know that you got to take this guy seriously. Yeah, he's not a he doesn't have pleasant facial features. He looks like a Captain Planet villain is what I would say he looks like. (laughs) There you go. Oh, August man. Readley or something, right? Well, See, we'll get into him eventually, too. <laughs> See, it's one thing when I make the references, but for for you guys to make the Captain Planet reference, I was just like, oh, man, I need to step my game up. Wait, uh, when you see this guy's picture, you're going to be like, oh, wow, this is a villain. What is his name? Because uh, so, we, unfortunately, cannot pull up slides today. No problem. James H. Tillman. I'm sorry, he's the guy who pulls it. So his uh, who we're talking about is Ben Tillman, his infamous uncle. And Ben Tillman's profile picture is rather terrifying. So... Right. Uh, in fact, uh, he's also going to earn the nickname of. Oh, it. yep. Kahuna <laughs> <Sora>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Bond villain much? Yeah, very much so, dude. It's all in there. And by the way, his nickname, if you need it, just the way he looks is a little Bulldog. terrifying. Pitchfork Ben. Pitchfork Ben. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> and his policies as governor of South Carolina will come to be known as Tillmanisms. Uh, not too far removed from the post-Civil War days of military governors political machines and all these other things, uh, they're running vast stretches of offices down here. So you go from military governors to now, well, what's the political machine going to be? We'll cover why that in a second here. But just to give you an idea, if you need to know a little bit about political machines, please check out our trilogy on Tammany Hall or maybe one of our Patreon episodes on the Kingfish. All right. Mr. Huey Long himself. One of the best. Uh, he was uh, he was great. Uh, LP, if you wanted to illuminate the, the people on a little bit about Ben Tillman here. Ben Tillman. This is the guy who's Behind, you know, the, the big swinging dick of the Tillman crime family, if you will. Yeah, Big Ben, um, he was uh, one of uh, 11 children. So he comes from a big family, but he's the youngest of the 11. And, uh, you know, growing up, uh, he experienced some uh, pretty violent stuff going on in his life. Um, Little note that the Tillman family, too, is one of the largest slaveholding families in South Carolina. Yeah. So. That's yeah, they, definitely a huge impact for them. He wasn't coming from... Uh, Not someone I would invite to the barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's more reasons. Don't worry. No, I shouldn't have clicked on his Wikipedia page because now I'm like, I hate this motherfucker. It's, it's, uh, the first two sentences. It's, <laughs> it's pretty pretty quick to uh, make him a villain and uh, justifiably so. But <laughs> LP, you were saying? No, but he's, he's one of 11, uh, seven sons. And of the seven sons, um, or brothers, if you will. Um, one was killed in the Mexican-American War. Uh, one was killed in a feud. And one was eaten by Benjamin. <laughs> and this was, uh, this is the time when, uh, if somebody's honor was, uh, shaded or clouded, uh, you would meet them on the, on the dueling field. So it's still my favorite stat ever that we've ever uncovered on this show is that the U S Navy outlawed dueling because all the officers were getting killed. And they're like, we have all these promising men, but they keep getting they keep in duels. Shooting one another. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another brother was killed in what was quoted as a domestic dispute. So, I mean, we, you can fathom whatever you want out of that one. Uh, his brother James was killed at the Battle of Chickamauga d during the uh, um, Civil War. Another one died of typhoid. Um, and even his father um, killed a guy um, uh, in his upbringing and stuff. But again, Just you're right. Just to watch him die. Um, yeah, his father died when, when Ben was a two-year-old, um, and his father died of uh, typhoid fever. So, again, it's to the times, that was a huge... And, uh, I don't think he had any association with typhoid Mary, but uh, his father didn't, <laughs> didn't indeed die from typhoid. Um, and then his, his mom passes away, but um, when uh, Tillman's mother, uh, uh, she passes, but... She had 86 slaves in 1860. 30 of these slaves were African-born and had been smuggled into the, uh, into the interior because in 1858, uh, the time that these slave smugglings took place, there was federal law forbidding um, in the importation of slaves. So anybody who had slaves at that time, you were um, not letting them go. And But the laws were enacted that uh, if... A woman had a child, well, then her child is also in, in bondage, in slavery. So, um, you know, it, it's it's antebellum uh, pre-Civil War times. Um, it, it was it was, you know, a, a very uh, a lot of upheaval going on. He he, Ben Tillman um, 
was educated, but uh, he only the got, man who will go on to be known as Pitchfork. Yes, he's yeah, an educated man, folks. Pitchfork was a, an educated man, but uh, um, just shy of seventeen years old, he withdrew from the academy to enlist in the Confederate Army. Um, so by 1864, the handwriting was pretty much on the wall that the South was only going to try to prolong the war. And maybe the Union would say, hey, screw it. We've, well, we've suffered enough. Well, what state is the first to secede, Dad? Yeah, well, South Carolina, <laughs> South Carolina, um, no doubt. Um, and he, uh, while just shy of 17, he tries to enlist. Then he's struck down with a cranial tumor which incapacitated him for two years. So uh, because of that cranial tumor, uh, Tillman lost uh, the use of his left eye. So any photographs that you might see of him, uh, the one, the left eye is really screwed up, but it it really gives him a scary looking, (laughs) scary looking physique. That's for sure. Um, uh, He's an ideal scarecrow. Yeah. (laughs) Is there? Yeah. Yeah. um, he did get married in 1865. That's like um, toxic masculinity. Why are they never single, huh, ladies? Yeah, but she's uh, Sally. Uh, his wife is also a South Car- Carolinian, um, and uh, upon their marriage, uh, the mother uh, gifts them um, with uh, some of the Tillman family land, uh, just a little, you know, starter home of 433 acres. Um, again, agriculture is the is the big uh, the big cash crop in the South. Um, but by 1868, um, things were not going so swell for the for South Carolina and the rest of the Confederacy. They were pretty much uh, on their face. But uh, uh, Ben Tillman is able to uh, you know rise from the ashes, if you will, and becomes pretty successful in in farming and other agricultural activities. Uh, and he starts to fool around a little bit with uh, with some politics. He's one of the few that is successful um, and gained some wealth and and uh, um, gained some wealth, and he buys up more uh, more acres. Um, so by the time uh, eighteen seventy eight rolls around, he has an additional uh, six hundred and fifty acres on top of what his mother had. Uh, um, bequeath them and uh, so this is the Tillman family that's very uh, well thought of they got a lot of money to begin with Ben's now making money on top of that money right so of course what do you do once you've made more money than God you decide to become God himself or God on earth as uh, our government likes to consider themselves <laughs> and he becomes the governor of South Carolina will also later serve as a United States senator so and he's got this reputation as you kind of mentioned dad for talking tough uh, using violence or sometimes just the threat of violence, but all these things as political weapons. So his rough and tumble background of uh, I lost my eye and I fought in the war and all that other stuff. Yeah, that's kind of carrying over into his political life, too, a little bit. Yeah. And then politically at that time, uh, post-Civil War, we're in the middle of uh, Reconstruction there. So there's federal um, authorities appointed to the government because initially at the conclusion of the Civil War, anybody who fought or was involved with the Confederacy, um, was not allowed to run for political office. So it was a, a federal appointee, if you will. Uh, they finally get past that. And that's when uh, Ben really starts picking up uh, picking up the, uh, the pieces and tries Just to... Just to expand on that for a second here, because I, it's a very interesting concept, but one that if we glaze over, I don't think people are going to realize just how crazy this is. So we're in this Reconstruction era of uh, you know the post-Civil War America, and a lot of people think that's a boring 
part in time, but that's really where you start creating the modern world. Modern problems are hitting the country at this point. So part of the reconstruction would see that, as you said, members of the former Confederacy should be banned from holding public office. This would later be enforced, but only for a period of time when that moratorium on former Confederates not holding public office is up. There's almost like this whole thing like, hey, we just got to get through this these uh, this election here. And then the next election, we could put all of our old people back in. So the people who were prominent members of the community. And by the way, a lot of these first you know, round people, the, this is what people don't know. Uh, the first elected officials, in the United States government were actually Republicans uh, uh, that, that were African-Americans holding the office. That's the first time that happened. And a lot of the crazy thing with that, too is that it was the radical Republican Party, which was extremely unpopular in the South because it was kind of the what was thought to be the impetus for the whole Civil War was those radical Republicans and the abolition being a whole thing here. To, so, to unfairly kind of generalize thing, it's it's basically like everything was kind of backwards now to how it is now where like then Republicans were more what Democrats are now. In the, in the sense, right? Or is that kind of too much of it a generalization? Yeah, it, it goes back to that thing where I don't want to cover uh, the Lily Whites as well, too, because you're going to see, I mean, this is, you want to talk about the start of Jim Crow. This is it, dude. This is Yeah, a- <laughs> this is definitely Reconstruction, uh, Jim Crow era that, um, you know, he starts to bring in uh, different ways by threat, by uh, altercation, by whatever means possible to get rid of the Republicans, the, the, uh, the Republicans, because, uh, you know, before, even before the Civil War, the South was predominantly a, a Democratic uh, state. And it was by uh, the election of Lincoln that uh, the Democratic Party kind of split itself into pro-slavery or anti-slavery. Uh, and now that the Civil War is over and we're in Reconstruction and now finally uh, some of the former Democratic leaders are allowed to run for office again, they're doing whatever they can to bring things back to the way it used to be before the before the war. Not that these people weren't installed, but it was people from uh, would be considered, uh, um, I guess, carpetbaggers to a degree of uh, people coming down from the north to get involved with the rebuild. Kind of like when everyone's like, oh, let's help rebuild Haiti, you know. (laughs) So it gets to be a little bit strange down there where you're you're serving under a military governor originally, which, by the way, I believe just a little tie in. The military governor of the Carolinas, if I remember, yeah. is a certain guy whose leg is preserved in a barrel. <laughs> yep. Dan Sickles was a military governor of the Carolinas at the time. Yeah. Once he once he lost his leg at Gettysburg, I believe he was appointed to be military governor of uh, the Carolinas. Dan the so, Man Sickles. Dan the Man Sickles. There you go. <laughs> so now this is what a wild thing's going on here with our boy Tillman. Tillman, uh, he is, like we said, known for a fiery and uh, loud kind of a... a, a over the top kind of presentation to his, we're going to get, we're going to set things right. We're going to get back in there. That's like, we're going to get rid of these uh, outsiders who are in here. Oh, and by the way, I mean, if you want to talk about straight up racism, this is, there's quotes that this guy had making public comment that would make David Duke blush. So it's, (laughs) yeah. Just for the listeners at home, I have one of them. We of the South have never recognized the right of the Negro to govern white men. We will, and we never will. We have never believed him to be equal to the white man. And we will not submit to his gratifying his lust or on our wives and daughters without lynching him. I would to God, the last one of them was in Africa and that none of them had ever been brought to our shores, but I will not pursue the subject further. So he's, you know, well, I don't want to say anything crazy oh. here, but let me, yeah, yeah. 
but he is definitely making his point made that, uh, um, and then that whole thing with the Jim Crow laws and stuff, that was absolutely removing any possibility the uh, the black was going to be able to vote. Now, the blacks were, were predominantly Republican at that point, and they were passing legislation and everything else to prevent them from ever voting. So if you remove those who might vote Republican, and then the Democrats could just put up whoever they wanted, and just by appointing, uh, you know, in closed-door sessions, who's, who's going to be the next governor? Who's going to be the next uh, yeah. senator? So if you held firm and you said no former confederates can hold public office maybe even for another five to six years or something like that you might have seen a legit chance for the progressive causes to get rooted and have a foundation and then grow down in the south there and it wouldn't have seemed like it was a one and done for an attempt at equality there because uh the big thing is going to be so voter suppression is always in the news and uh voter disenfranchisement is the big big thing here because uh, you want to talk about some bully tactics, check this thing out. Our good old boy, Pitchfork Ben Tillman, he will lead a paramilitary group, or back then what would probably be uh, called just a social club, known as the Red Shirts. And the Red Shirts had been instrumental in their effectiveness at getting out the Democratic Party's message leading up to the 1876 South Carolina governor election. The Red Shirts would either intimidate people into voting for their candidate and leader, a guy by the name of Wade Hampton, or... They would intimidate, threaten, and sometimes even attack anyone who decided they shouldn't vote at all, who they decided shouldn't vote at all. So uh, if you're not going to vote for my guy, uh, that's fine, you know, but I'm not going to let you vote at all. Isn't it the same? Uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong. The same, <laughs> the, the same thing that is what alleged someone had allegedly done to Edgar Allan Poe, where it was like, you better vote yeah, for him. Dude, good call. Um, that would be the, uh, the, so there's a couple of things that ties into, but it was a, a ballot box stuffing kind of thing where they would, uh, they, that's why they said they found Edgar Allan Poe in different clothes mm -hmm. was because they're like, oh, shave his mustache, send him back to vote again. You know, I bet I, really good memory on you. That's one of our first like five episodes. <laughs> yeah. Plus the fact that in, in this time frame, uh, when you go to vote, it's not a secret ballot. Um, if you're walking into the polling place, you can be easily uh, found out as to how you voted. So votes could be even, you know, lost in the counting or um, whoever did vote against your guy, just go outside and beat the shit out of him or perhaps even worse. So or not, so you if you're going to vote against who the Democrats are putting up, you better uh not vote at all for your own health and safety. Yeah. And maybe it would be a bad idea if you tried to vote at all. So maybe just don't come down here on election day. And that's called voter disenfranchisement. And that's how you get people to be dominated by a system in which they're no longer taking part due to fear for their own safety. That is as corrupt as it gets. So it's a, a rough time here. These red shirt guys, they're pretty, they're, they're rough and tumble dudes. And uh, again, Wade Hampton's an interesting guy here because uh, he's going to be running for election. He's going to be the Democrat that's going to, or a Dixiecrat, as they would call it, to try to not use modern terms like, you know, Kona was, I was talking about. Um, what you wind up doing is uh, this guy, Wade Hampton's in there. And he's a very interesting guy because uh, he is challenging the radical Republican incumbent governor named Daniel Henry Chamberlain. I looked up if he was related to the Chamberlain from uh, Gettysburg. He's not. So <laughs> good mustache on him, though. <laughs> uh, Chamberlain was a radical Republican who also happened to have been born in Massachusetts. Remember I said earlier where it's like, oh, you got the, he's not even from here. Why is he in charge of all of us? There's yeah, a little well, bit of resentment. So absolutely resentment, because uh, that's where the whole term carpetbagger came in, that some of these northerners 
during Reconstruction would come down south with nothing more than whatever they could hold in their in their suitcase or their carpet bag, and set themselves up as uh, the political um, power or try to, and they know they were going to get the black vote because they're Republican. Um, so that was eliminate eliminate the black vote, and you're eliminating the, a lot of these carpetbaggers. We don't need you to vote for our guy. We just need you to not vote at all. That's evil. That's pretty much evil. That's a, and it, yet it's still counted on all the time where they're just like, we've got to have one, one candidate has to be hated more than the other. Maybe we attach a VP. I don't know when vice presidents just turned into uh, uh, assassination proof for some people. That was like, <laughs> when you think about the couple, like you hear about old you know, vice presidents, you're like, oh, that, you know, interesting guy there, you know, Hannibal Hamlin, those kind of dudes, interesting careers. And then somehow or other, it just turned into, well, we're going to unite the North and the South on this thing here. And that's politics in general, baby. It's just an ugly thing. But Wade Hampton, he's going to be running. These red shirts are roughing up people on his behalf. Uh, he's definitely involved with them, too, yeah, Wade Hampton the, here. And the red shirts um, were part of a, a widespread secret organization, if you will, that sometimes they were called rifle clubs. It was a, <laughs> a secret um, membership type of thing. And uh, But they would go out and make sure that you were going to vote the right way or not vote at all uh, to eliminate the, any, any kind of a challenge to that. Uh, and this Wade, um, he was also uh, a former Confederate. Um, a Confederate general, general if I yeah. recall, yeah. I believe, Wade Hampton was. So this guy now running for governor is a former. So just to try to put it in a modern sense, like we always try to do with the show, it's um, somebody who is a, a domestic terrorist or something like that gets, uh, you know, has a if you're fighting for a treasonous side, treason against the country. And then a couple of years later, you're like, by the way, running for governor. You're like, well, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. Why would? <laughs> so it's kind of a goofy thing here, but that's the strange times we're in right now. So you're able to kind of get those people in the middle who are probably good people. You're able to get them to sit there and be like, well, I guess I'm going to vote Democrat this go around because, I mean, at least this guy's from South Carolina. You know, I don't, the last thing I want is some guy from Massachusetts telling South Carolina what to do. So. It gets to be a little bit crazy there. Of course it does. How could it not? A uh, little side note, Wade Hampton's family owned the most slaves in the entire state. So that is... <laughs> what an achievement. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, they said... Moving a, on up. Yeah, yeah they right. said a, a, a Great reference. prime age slave. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> uh, a good prime aged male slave at the height of antebellum South uh, would have gone for around the same price as a top-of-the-line uh, Mercedes-Benz. So this guy's got multiple... He's got garages full of brand-new Mercedes-Benz. Oh, for fuck's sake. So he's the 1% of the 1%. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now, he's going to bring... He's campaigning on the idea of we're going to get the good old days back in the South. And the good old days, that, that depends on who you talk to. All right? So 1850s was probably Aren't pretty they good for... In, in the midst of the good old days for them? Uh, well, I would say even... Because this is 79, I believe, is this election. Um, okay. So you're about 20 years removed from what would be considered the heyday of it, yeah, right before it all <laughs> broke apart. Um, yeah, but uh, Tillman initially was very much in support of Wade, but um, later on he starts to go against Wade simply because Wade's idea was that we're going to return the South to the way things were before the uh, before the Civil War. The uh, They became known as the, the Bourbon Democrats, that this was the— Important aristocracy yes. of uh, of the Democratic Party, if you will, that they're going to be deciding that that one percent of one percent. Yeah, they're going to make the, all the decisions of how things are going to 
Go. And Bourbon Democrats, by the way, are very fascinating because uh, as the elections will continue, we'll see how good Kahuna's memory is on this. One of the most famous Bourbon Democrats around because of his ability to attract Republicans to his cause because he was good middle uh, Grover Cleveland. The, uh, the very first American loser we ever did. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yep. He's going to be one of the most famous bourbon Democrats here. He comes into the story in a little bit, too, by the way. Hmm. Um, so Hampton had served as a general for the Confederacy, and now he is the governor of South Carolina. And uh, like we said, it, it's a weird thing. Uh, it's, it's not that he's popular. It's that people who could have been the difference in the votes, because I believe the election came down to about 1,100 votes, that if you could have gotten 1,200 free black Americans to be able to vote, take part in the democracy that they've been told they could, but they were disenfranchised for fear of violence, 1,200 people would have turned the election a different way. And here's how important this election is. I believe that is the last, until 1976, I think that's the last, um, uh, because the Democrats take power uh, over there, and it pretty much is a stranglehold for Dixiecrat stuff uh, for the next, I mean, I want to say up till Martin Luther King time frame, maybe. I mean, it, it's a tough one there. Um, the, uh, this moratorium has been lifted, by the way. So, of course, that's why these guys are able to get in here now. Uh, and the red shirts are very, very effective. They took part in something known as the Hamburg Massacre, uh, in which they fought and killed uh, some troops that they were fighting with. So it would be black troops that are free that have now joined the military that are now defending. They're probably from South Carolina. So your whole argument of like, oh, we don't want somebody we don't know coming. Well, these... These guys are from South Carolina, probably, and now they're troops serving for the federal government, and you're getting into fights with them, and people are getting killed over this. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know of a better way to try to explain the effectiveness of the red shirts here, Dad. No, but uh, I think um, they, they were pretty much South Carolina um, militia when the, the vast majority of the militia were, were black. So they're, they're having a go at it with, uh, with uh, the militia, the red shirts are, and— um, you know, things didn't go well with that. I think uh, uh, five five blacks and one white guy who was siding with uh, with the Republicans. Could, yeah, could all killed. just be soldiers, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Because uh, that's one cool thing I enjoyed about the military is that when you're in there, uh, the color thing goes out the uh, the window. It's just enlisted an officer. That's the only thing you got to make a distinction of. So, um by 1890, so now we've moved forward a little bit here, this Democratic stronghold in South Carolina is very, very obvious. Um, ben, ben Tillman, who, by the way, had bragged openly about leading these attacks by the red shirts. I've been on the ground fighting for you guys. Yeah, so he's pretty much saying me and my militia are going out there and we're fighting the government. And anyway, uh, that's why you guys need to vote for me because I'm the government fighting the government for you. It's, it's strange times. Okay, there's a lot of uh, east is west, uh, up is down right now. Things are confusing here. Now, the way this uh, political machine is working, uh, you know, again, keep in mind at this point now, our boy uh, Ben Tillman is the governor of South Kakalaki. And uh, kind of what they were doing here is that you would, their political machine would be, well, all right, cool, we're going to set up things locally. Okay, well, now I want to be the governor. Well, now I want to be a representative in the federal government. Now I want to do this. And eventually you get your, your weekend in the swamp, if you will, up in D.C. And they audition you. They, they literally, it's almost like a, like a woman. We're like, oh, it's a, we're going to, she's a debutante here at Cotillion. It's like, oh, hey, we have a governor from South Carolina. Well, he might be a representative one day. Could this be a future president? Right. So that's, it's the, all, way, that's the way the, the political machine worked. I mean, so, I mean, Tillman was uh, definitely uh, becomes governor and he does all he can to oust what were the the bourbon Democrats, the aristocrats, if you will, the, the of uh, 
pre-Civil War, antebellum Civil War. Um, and he's, by getting legislation passed and he's signing it, uh, it starts to become uh, now that Tillman is going to be appointing his own lieutenants, uh, you know, removing some of the bourbon Democrats and installing his own lieutenants in their place. Uh, and then remove them if they lost favor to the the political machine that uh, Tillman is now setting up. Because um, it's very effective. He's fiery about certain topics, but he's also, he knows what he has to do. It's almost like Tammany Hall where it's like, hey, we're corrupt as hell. The gangs are really running all this. We're going to extort the shit out of you. But if you ever need a loaf of bread, you come by and let me know. We'll, we'll take care yeah, right. of you. <laughs> Tammany Hall will put its arm around your shoulder as it's robbing your pocket. Right. But at least you're warm for that one good minute. Tillman helped establish uh, uh, oh, excuse me, not established. Tillman helped to abolish elected local government. Um, and again, this is all by having the, the legislature working with him, um, that uh, they abolish elected local government and provided for county uh, officials to be appointed by who? Who do you think? By Tillman. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the this government. This is how you completely uh, corrupt and disregard the elections that, uh, again, African-Americans were holding office for the first time in U.S. history. And uh, this is how you negate all of that. Right. This is yeah. how you, you undermine everything. Yeah. By passing local law, you're effectively eliminating the, the blacks from, as local officials. So he's, he's the guy that's appointing everybody else. And he's also, um, upon his recommendation for state senator and the state's uh, um, federal representative. So, you know, he is the power broker. He's the, the kingmaker um, as he's holding court as the governor of South Carolina. Um, the laws that were passed basically eliminated uh, blacks as local officials, even where African-Americans were the overwhelming majority within the voting districts. So uh, it uh, shows you how so powerful this guy is. Now, keep in mind here, you have a black population that now has no voice in the government that they don't trust. The only voice they ever hear from their government now because they have no representatives because they've been bullied out is, hey, don't try to part, you know, you're not allowed to partake in your government. You're just going to say, well, I got to stay away here because my hierarchy of needs is to not get my fucking head bashed in right now. So it's th- this is the most uh, if you want to talk about absolute oppression, you've got it. Uh, I mean, there's no clear way to put it. This is about as low as things get with the whole Jim Crow South. I mean, it's bad. Yeah, it was during Tillman's uh, governorship um, that there's a dramatic rise in the number of lynchings of African-Americans in South Carolina and across the South as a whole. Um, so, you know, it's not just uh, you're not going to vote. We're going to make sure that any leadership qualities that you might show as a as a black uh, American, you are going to be lynched. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the way. That's another way of getting rid of it. And uh, he did make some public statements um, defending lynching as well. I mean, he would uh, in one circumstance, he said that he would be willing to lead the lynch mob himself. <laughs> yep. How's that for your governor? It's a. Uh Makes you appreciate Chris Christie a little bit more, I guess. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> um, it's interesting, though, because uh, Tillman will also be an invited speaker. So where you got to go to get the votes, right? You got to secure your base. So he will actually be a speaker at an event known as the Great White Man's Ball and Picnic. So going to assume oh. no hot sauce at that picnic, safe no. to say. All right. 
Um, Not spicy. It makes you wonder. It's uh, Now, again, these fiery speeches, they may win him support down in uh, South Carolina and from the, the working man type. But uh, during his primary run as a possible presidential candidate, that's how popular this guy was. The Democratic Party was sitting there and saying, hey, again, we're just using these terms because that's what it was then. It doesn't mean anything now. Please acknowledge that history completely wipes itself with its own ass every 30 years. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it divides by zero every 30 years, I think. But his brand of WWF style promo actually horrifies voters on the national audience. And our boy Tillman is quickly removed from consideration for the presidency. Kahuna, I'll give you one guess. He never held the office. Thank he goodness. He never, ever held the office. The guy I'm about to say, the nomination will instead go to a guy who never holds the office of presidency, but runs a couple of times. Runs three times. One might say he was even a topic of this very show. You got to be. Wait a minute. No, I'm. I know who it is. Uh, We're off to see the wizard. Oh my God! He's kind of he's kind of my hero politically. <laughs> the more I read about him, you know, he's got three names, so you know it's good. A Mister William Jennings Bryan. Coon's <laughs> on fire today. He's remembering a lot. This is like we're coming up on three years of this show, too, by the way. What? <laughs> That's like a final exam question. Yeah. At the end of the, Why end would you do that year. to me? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good one, man. Uh, that's our little another loser section there. Here. Oh, Tillman will Lord. become a senator, though. So he doesn't make that. The, they say it's not going to be a president, but he can be the representative of uh, South Carolina in the Senate and continues his style of verbose tough talk that inspired and often directed violence. This would lead to a confrontation on the Senate floor. I'm not making this up, guys. You think yeah. people watch politics and see it like it's just it's just so uncivilized today. It's like, I don't know if there was a C-SPAN footage yeah. of this incident I'm about to talk about in which uh, the two guys, the two representatives from South Carolina wind up brawling on the Senate floor. Yep. Yeah, little fish Tough crowd at Comic-Con that year. <laughs> <laughs> well, John L. McLaurin is the, another a fellow South Carolina senator. Uh, he's the new guy around, though. So uh, our boy uh, Tillman's quite established here. And then in a speech to the Senate, Tillman will accuse McLaurin of corruption straight up. So, oh, and by the way, everyone knows this guy cheats on his taxes, that kind of a thing. So when he gets done with his speech, McLaurin calls Tillman a liar to his face. And this is back in those days when you got to answer that kind of thing. So... Uh, our boy Tillman, old one-eyed Tillman here, this James Bond villain-looking dude, Dex McLaurin in the face. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. McLaurin punches back, punches uh, uh, Tillman in the nose, and the two are separated by you know people. So you know, and that kids is how WWE senators. was founded. Yep, it's, <laughs> it's very uh, C-SPAN. Uh, could could be good content for C-SPAN, I should say. Uh, but all of that being said. This is when you're going to realize, so that really the only thing that happens is that Congress censures both of them. So that's their punishment. But really nothing happens because they're like, oh, well, you can't, South Carolina can't be without representatives. And their two senators are fighting each other on the, you know, South Carolina's wild. They are. They're a good time, but they're wild. So anyway, uh, <sighs> this does get one little, I'll tell you what, he got slapped on uh, the wrist here in terms of a punishment. But the one punishment, this might be the thing where you ever have when your parents are uh, upset with you and they say, I'm not, not mad. mad. I'm disappointed. Yes. Now it hurts way more. Yes. <laughs> so you might get censured by Congress and you're like, whatever, I can handle that. But uh, a certain dinner invite for Mr. Tillman got rescinded. <gasps> he would have been eating at the White House with the president of the United States, who at this time is someone you don't fuck with. TR, baby. <laughs> Yeah, my. Oh, man. Teddy would have been Teddy. 
You, you motherfucking awesome. <laughs> uh, I can't believe it. I love it. He rescinded yep, the he invite. Yeah. Uh, thanks. No thanks. Sorry. Not sorry. Bye, I TR. I fucking love TR. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, the, the backstory to that was that uh, Tillman, he's now a, a, a senator, and he kind of forms a, a quasi-coalition with, uh, with Teddy Roosevelt so that uh, Teddy could win passage of a tough new railroad regulations. And again, railroad is king at this particular point in time. So, you know, Teddy's trying to break up some of the muckraking and all that kind of stuff. So Teddy's also doing a little bit of everything at this time. He's relatively new to the presidency, by the way. McKinley did just, you know, get dropped, uh, I think, within the year. But Tillman uh, uh, declines his uh, invitation to TR simply because Booker T. Washington was also going to be at the at the White House at the same time. And, uh, was it at the same time? Wow. I thought it was. Yeah, a- no, it was. What I found is Tillman also opposed Roosevelt's invitation of Booker T. Washington to the White House and said, quote, the action of President Roosevelt in entertaining that N word will necessitate uh, the killing of a thousand N word in the South before they learn their place again. Yep. He said, oh, they're going to start thinking they're people again. You start treating them like people. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. Invite him, inviting them into the White House. He wasn't standing for that. And this is that stuff when it's people are like, oh, uh, you know, that's really that's a triggering statement. It's like, hey, you know, it used to be said out loud like this. This was a, a comp- he could say this to the papers and people would quote him on it. All right. That's how wild things were. Not too, too far uh, long ago, you know, Um the Tillman machine is still in full effect, though, even though he doesn't get that invite to dinner with TR. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, next in line for power at the local level is thought to be Ben's nephew. So we've been covering what a bastard Ben is. And now you're going to get a, a little bit of a sequel because now it's his nephew. Yeah. His nephew is attorney general. Uh, I thought it was lieutenant governor. Oh, He's lieutenant currently governor. serving. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Lieutenant remember governor. the way the machine works? You start as you, you get involved in local. Then you wind up being the governor. Then you get right. your job in the federal government. Then maybe we can see maybe a man from South Carolina can be president. The machine is taking care of you. It's uh, it is a good one on that. It's uh, it's very interesting to me too because uh, James is serving as we said as the lieutenant governor of South Carolina. He's the presumed favorite to be the next governor. Only problem was Tillmanism, as popular as it is with its fan base and the people that it's working for, uh, is also widely unpopular with its critics. So. You don't even have to if you are having someone put in a hate vote where they just hate the other person so much, you don't even have to give them a candidate that they can like. But the people that hate Tillmanism, they hate it pretty bad. So it's starting to get a little uh, a little extra dicey here in South Carolina. Things are wild. Uh, One. uh, By the way, this is the only thing too. one of those critics that we're mentioning earlier. It's going to bring us back to the beginning of the story. With our good friend Narciso Henner Gonzalez. <laughs> Is that who we were doing this episode on? <laughs> Who's the the head writer? You know what? I, that's what I love about this show is because, to be honest, we wouldn't have understood. We probably wouldn't have understood what went down without any of that setup. So that is the uncle of the dude who ends up killing our loser. Yes, he is the political machine of which Narciso was a very much uh, outspoken critic. Okay. So that's why this inciting incident happened where we did a and, and hell of a job, by the way, LP. Yeah. Well, he's got, uh, you know, Narciso uh, Gonzalez uh, certainly has. You look at you trying, Dumont. <laughs> hey. And that was you. Ben Tillman, American loser. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing good, man. Kidney stones and all. You are a trooper. Uh, it's not kidney stones. It's back. Well, I don't know what the hell it is, but. Anyhow, that's a that's a whole different topic. But um, yeah, he's certainly given a lot of people cause for uh, concern, if you will, over the way things are being handled in South Carolina. 
and Narciso and his brother um, start their own newspaper, and we're right back to where we started this thing out by them forming this newspaper called The State, I believe it was. It was, and in The State, he was very much championing causes that were deemed progressive for the time. So that, that's always the crazy thing. We look at something wild that like progressives are about right now, and they're like, in 100 years, is that going to be like, oh, man, why was that controversial back then? So progressive at this time frame is being in favor of uh, anti-lynching. Hey, guys, when we have a problem with somebody, we shouldn't just round up a posse and hang them from a tree. Yeah. Uh, pretty much common sense now. Back then, it was like, ooh, getting a little. Wait a minute. That's, geez, that's, pretty, uh, that's, that's some bold thinking. Well, where does it stop? <laughs> that's pretty progressive. Come on now. <laughs> he also championed the idea of uh, women's suffrage, which uh, is going to be women uh, having the right to vote and uh, other you know, just advancements in, uh, in their quality of life as well and their uh, equality in the eyes of uh, the nation. So that's a thing going on at the time here. He's also against child labor laws, which I think is the problem in this country. All right. <laughs> I think when you're 11, you should have been laid off twice. All right. <laughs> but but I our boy. Uh, you to death. That's, uh, yeah. Or, <laughs> here's a 10 in one. Go scrape the paint off the back of a house and mend them. <sighs> Inside joke for you guys. But uh, while he was working originally at a paper called The News and Courier. OK, that was Narciso's uh, first uh, foray into journalism here. Pretty fascinating guy in his own right, by the way. Narciso begins writing about the increasing power of this weird guy named uh, Ben Tillman, who comes from this political family and they were former slave owners. Very white supremacist type attitudes here. Yeah. Now, now, they're not saying that Narciso is some sort of a uh, he's not some sort of a, a saint himself in terms of morality for the time, but he hates Tillman and he doesn't like they definitely don't agree with. Well, here's an issue. How are we going to handle the issue? And I think it's pretty easy to say that the good guy in the story is the guy who's in favor of. Uh, not lynching people. Yeah, pretty much. Go there. Yeah, I'll be. I'll step out there and say, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a good. We're, we're going to make a bold stance on this guy. It's <laughs> American loser. Uh, um, my feet are cemented to the ground. I'm against lynching people, and that is why you guys are invited to the barbecue. That's. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, and while he was governor, Tillman uh, had a lot of different uh, different techniques. Um, the different franchise to black folk, they included the poll tax. You might have heard about the poll tax. It, uh, that's have, the biggest bullshit around. You have to pay in order to vote. And that money was due um, probably early, early spring when the various sharecroppers and everything else, the poor white farmers and black farmers both would not be able to afford to pay the poll tax. Um, oh, because if you want to talk about voter suppression, it exists. Okay, this thing, yeah, the, uh, uh, liter absolutely. literacy tests at the polls as well. That's another way to disenfranchise people. And that's just to make sure that, uh, oh, well, the people that we bribed are the ones that are going to wind up voting how we need them to vote anyway. So. Yeah, so you had a poll tax, you had educational and property requirements, and then a subjective test concerning the Constitution, which allowed registration officials. In other words, you had to apply for uh, the right to vote, and you had to, be, had to go through these registration officials to pass the test. Um, but the test would be able to pass whites and fail the blacks. So, you know, it was very... Uh, That's why at the top of the form, they'd say, please state your ethnicities. <laughs> That's right, right. Yeah. How do you identify yourself? Oh, Jesus. It's it's so weird to see evil and then, like, uh, to be organized with evil. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> but evil was the law of the land in exactly. South Carolina. Yeah. yeah. So you could be crazy progressive by just sitting there and saying, oh, I don't think we should hang people. Whoa, 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 buddy. Quit rocking the boat up here. Yeah. We don't need any of you troublemakers. We need the status quo <laughs> to continue. Uh, and then keep in mind, too, 
especially if you're black in this, you know, it, we've talked about it, voter suppressions there. There's intimidation about it. These are the people that are going to make the decisions about you that it can, they will continue to expand the powers that are holding you down. And your only opportunity to do something about it is being taken away from you through fear of violence. Uh, and, and, and again, these red shirt gangs, it doesn't just go away. All right. It's a, a, it's a kinder, gentler machine gun hand, perhaps to quote Neil Young, but yeah. this shit's still out there, guys. So uh, this is interesting because while he's covering for the news and courier, Narciso's covering Tillman and Tillmanism, this political machine that's get absolute power in the South here. And his writings, often critical of Tillman, were allowed in the paper, but very closely monitored by his editors. Because if you're selling a paper and you want to sell to a certain political ideology. So, again, just, I think a pretty uh, interesting way to phrase it would be you got uh, Fox News, you got MSNBC, and then you got some people who are like, well, we're going to cater somewhere in the middle so we can sell papers to both sides. So you want a certain angle on something, you go a certain place. But this particular paper, the News and Courier, was definitely more conservative on a lot of things. And uh, that's going to be something that we're maybe criticizing the shit out of uh, this guy who's pretty popular with uh, conservative voters at the time, you know, uh, in good old Tillman. It's probably not going to be something that you want to be doing here. So maybe that's bad for business. So eventually he winds up founding his own paper. That's where the state comes in. Him and his brother found that one, right? right? Yeah, so, he was a journalist to begin with. And then uh, they buy up uh, or they start their own newspaper. So, and again, if you're putting yourself in charge of the editorial page, uh, you can point out the, the flaws of other candidates, let's say. As they say, Kahuna, the pen is mightier than the sword, right? Yeah. It's yeah. true in this one. So Narciso is becoming quite, uh, he's waging a literary war against uh, the Tillmans and the Tillman machine here. Yeah, but don't bring a pen to a knife fight. <laughs> <laughs> also true, um, as we will unfortunately learn. So Narciso, uh, he's writing all this stuff. Uh, he's making sure to, to bring hell to the Tillman machine. And uh, he's actually becoming a little bit of a political machine himself. So now Narciso has this idea. It's almost like like a disc jockey that can uh, you know dictate how a, a country's going to vote or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, they used to be like, oh, so Madonna endorses this candidate. So that's everyone's going to vote for them now, right? <laughs> that's how that works. Um, but Narciso is able to sway votes and uh, apparently demonstrates that power on the regular. That yeah. it was, uh, I think there was an agreement made uh, that – in return for the favor, which the candidate wound up uh, backing out of, uh, Narciso was actually able to counter like 2,000 votes or something like that. So it was, this is a guy you want to have on your side. Um, and again, he's also a little bit of a loud mouth in the paper here. He's getting down and dirty with him, but he understands what he's up against in terms of fighting this Tillman machine. And uh, he's actually such a, so- a thorn, if you will, in the side of Ben Tillman. Uh, it's going to bring us to this head-on collision here eventually. Um, in the 1902 governor election, Narciso used all of his power and all the pages of the state and more to ensure that James Tillman would lose that election. He reported on him endlessly, showcasing every personal failing, every mistake, criticizing him, every drop of the hat. So this dude set up early Twitter. Essentially, this is yeah. how he's he's going to cancel him. Oh, my God. <laughs> this dude's awesome. He's the media. He's the media, right? Newspapers were the media. He is. Uh, well, they're one and the same on this one. That's right. why I'm going to talk about the arm of the media. It's uh, it gets to be interesting when you talk about it that way. But it's definitely here that this is he's saying, I'm not even telling you guys to vote for this other candidate. I'm just saying this guy's such a bad choice for the job. Yeah. You know, and he's like, has things gotten any better? You know, this Tillman shit. You know, if you don't like that, you're voting for more of it. Why? It's very easy to make this argument against this machine that way. Also pretty brave because 
the power structure likes to stay on top. Mm-hmm. People usually have to pay when something like that happens. In fact, uh, this is interesting as well. Narciso was such a political machine that he even had dealings with former president and the Genesis loserception of Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland had uh, been threatened constantly by Ben Tillman when uh, Grover was the president. Ben Tillman was saying that he was going to take a pitchfork to that fat belly Grover Cleveland. So Grover Cleveland's probably like, hey, Narciso, you keep writing whatever you got to write. All right, buddy. <laughs> so when the votes came in and James Tillman had lost his gubernatorial bid, Narciso had seen his mission accomplished. It worked. He prevented that guy from holding a greater office. He stopped him dead in his tracks. He stood up to a political machine. Rocco fought City Hall. <laughs> All right. right. Uh, his great political rival and seeming nemesis had been prevented from further success. The problem is, I don't think he realized just how mad he made James Tillman, Dad. Yeah, he didn't, uh, he didn't take it well. Well, how does Tillman respond? Uh, by shooting him. Yep. So... <laughs> What well to that escalated quickly. <laughs> well, they talk about. I always make the joke about. Uh, I have information that will lead to the indictment of Hillary well, wait, Clinton. <laughs> who shot him though? So James Tillman. James Tillman, his James nephew. Tillman, his nephew. Okay. Who, right. James Tillman, who was yeah, running that, for governor. See, that's what James Tillman was running for governor. Also, so James Tillman was the lieutenant governor. He's okay. now going to be running for governor. At this point, his uncle is in the Senate. So he's trying to follow in their footsteps. This is how you get a bigger office. This is how you do that. Mm-hmm. So he's this machine is happening, and Narciso stands up to it, and with the using the power of the the freedom of the press, is able to get enough people to change their minds about him, or maybe voter suppress some people who would have supported him. I don't want to be associated with that yeah. kind of that thing. Yeah, and uh, he gets his nickname. Uh, ben Tillman gets his nickname. Uh, you know, Pitchfork Ben. Um, because of the whole uh, Grover Cleveland presidential nomination. Now, we're in 1896, and what was the big issue then? We're off to see the wizard. It's the big uh, gold versus Bimetallism. Bimetallism, right? And uh, Tillman declared that Cleveland, quote, is an old bag of beef, and I'm going to Washington with a pitchfork and prod him in his old fat ribs. (laughs) Well, the political cartoonist of the time has had a field day with with a quote like that. Oh, how do you not? Yeah. So, um, you know, he's he's still wielding a whole lot of power, but um, uh, obviously his nephew didn't take it well that uh, that kind of dead ended his uh, political career. No. With some of the stuff that... uh, um, So James got so mad. Yeah, (laughs) that they're reading about in the newspapers. So now what happens? He handles it quietly, right? You're going to hire a hitman. You know, someone's going to handle this. But nope, blind rage, broad daylight in front of people on a public street. The votes had come in. Tillman's not the governor. He loses his mind. All right, brandishes a handgun on January 15th, 1903 in broad daylight with people all around. Imagine seeing someone that you know to be the lieutenant governor of your state walking up to Larry King on the street and just shooting him. <laughs> and that's what happened. Uh, our friend, uh, or the, the the journalistic hero here, if you will, or uh, a guy who got what he deserves, depending on who you talk to at the time, mm-hmm. Narciso Henner Gonzalez will die four days later. So he dies on January 19th, 1903. A, oh, a long death. Yeah. Uh, so, what, did you shoot him in the belly or something? It would. I, they don't even tell you. That's how underreported this whole thing is. Um, there was not a whole lot about Narciso. So we had to dig in to find him. To then figure out what was he fighting against? Yeah, pull strings to figure out where this is going. So that's how we wound up with our accidental uh, uh, expose of Tillmanism. (laughs) But 
you want to show how the political party is, uh, or the political machine, I should say, is still in full effect here. Um, the jury that is put together to uh, make the decision about Lieutenant Governor James Tillman, who just shot in broad daylight with witnesses, Narciso, who is a guy that he definitely had motive to kill due to the political ramifications of the articles he was writing. Um, yeah, the jury acquits him on a self-defense argument. What? Yes. They he said, gets oh. away with it? They said, oh, this must this kind of self-defense, you know what I mean? Because a lot of people were like, well, no, he didn't have a gun to defend himself with. But I mean, this guy was asking for it. He's trying to ruin somebody's life, man. So it's like that thing of you see somebody trying to cancel someone on Twitter. You're like, well, that person's an asshole. Right? Yeah. But if you saw a person just get decked out of nowhere in the face and it's somebody who caught them by surprise, goes, talk that trash this is what happens. Well, now you don't like that guy who just punched somebody either. So that's a, a very soft example of this version where you can murder the guy who wrote the hit pieces about you in broad daylight while you are holding the office of lieutenant governor. OK, a pretty important job, by the way. Um, yeah. All right. You're number two in line to run the entire state. You just lost your election and you're so mad about it that you shoot the guy who was your biggest critic. And now the jury says, well, I mean, shit, Narciso guy, he was kind of asking for it. You know, <laughs> That's right. don't be saying bad things about. Him. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe I, I get it. Report the news. But you, you know, he were waging a war. So what is mightier, the pen or the revolver that was brandished? It makes you wonder. So. Uh, he does get away with it, Cahoons. That's 100% true. I hate it. The jury will I don't like descending. No. Well, there's a there's a good silver lining we found. You know I'm not sending you home on high. We, we always have to make sure there's a little bit. Because I'm a positive guy, and I think America's a wonderful country. And I think that uh, American history, it's usually people who report on it negatively are people who set about to only find the negative in it anyway. Yeah. You know? And then there's people who are painting it a little bit too rosy. Where I was like, well, you got to read the whole thing. All right? So You got to read the whole book. <laughs> um this is wild here. Uh, so he shoots him, gets off on this self-defense claim. Uh, anybody who was even on the fence was saying, well, Narciso, you know, it, not as innocent as he could have been, you know, which isn't a great thing. Tillman murdered a journalist in broad daylight. A politician murdered a journalist in broad daylight. And he walked. In front of a bunch of witnesses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I see nothing. But who's, <laughs> who's selecting the jury to... Uh, the you know, figure this case out. I wonder if the Tillman machine could have some sort of a say in that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the justice system could not punish the former lieutenant governor. The court of public opinion, however, will. They, uh, the murder, despite the acquittal, would effectively end James Tillman's political career. He will never hold another public office for the rest of his life. Yeah, because he killed the guy. Yes, that's what happens. So even if they're like, well, I mean, he was kind of asking for. So it. he was he was guilty in the court of public opinion, but not yes. but not guilty in office. But because of how powerful the court of public yeah. opinion is, he never. You can't be the face of this operation. Yeah, anymore. exactly. So he's probably still involved, backdoor dealings, stuff like that. But he'll he'll never hold another office himself at that point. You can never be the guy again after you do what you do here. Um, unfortunately, by the way, in an effort to kind of clean up things. Uh, what he thought was going to be helpful, which probably is what inspired Narciso to write what he wrote, uh, which does get him killed. Uh, this does end James Tillman's political career, but will essentially catapult to the next level and pave the way for one of South Carolina's most controversial figures ever. Is that fair to say? Contra yeah, I think he's, he's right, right up there with uh, with them. Well, we're going to tease it because it's going to be another episode because uh, I found this guy fascinating and he deserves his own episode. So next week, we'll, you know, maybe next week, sometime in the next immediate future, while this one's fresh in our heads, we'll be covering the man who now comes into power in the South Carolina structure. 
a man who goes by the name of Coleman Livingston Blease. Did you just set up a sequel? You know it, we buddy. We did. We've ne- you've never done that before. Well, well, thank you. Usually our sequels were like, oh, shit, we're out of time. Someone else is here. We got to come back next week. <laughs> Yo, it's the MCU up in this bitch. It's, we're, this is our post-credit scene to tease that one here. And, but we got to give a good, uh, a good ending, a more positive ending here, Dad. Um, so, Belize is going to wind up coming into power, which is a, a strange and curious thing for South Carolina history. Um, but Narciso had succeeded in his goal of preventing James Tillman from becoming governor. So, again, the pen is legit mightier than the sword, but the sword's pretty dangerous still. A uh, memorial honoring Narciso was erected on Senate Street in Columbia, South Carolina. Gorgeous little memorial for him. Want to guess why they picked that certain spot in Columbia, South Carolina? Is that where he was killed? Uh, No. uh, uh, This was uh, the reason that they chose this is because the monument was built on what would be James Tillman's walk home route every single day. So every single day, James Tillman had to walk past a memorial to the man he shot and killed oh, I in love, broad daylight. I love big fuck yous like that. Sorry, Sunquist <laughs> family. But like, oh my God, I love it. I can't get enough of that. Yeah, no, talking about memorials too. Whoever's idea that was, give him a raise. Yeah, right. That's, right. <laughs> That's like the dude who wrote the the article about our last loser backwards. That's a, <laughs> it's up there. Wrong way, Corrigan. For those who don't know what we mean, but what were we saying? I was going to say we're pretty the, much wrapping on this one, right? With the yeah, the legacy of uh, of Tillman uh, was interesting too. I mean, you know, he's either loved or hated. There was really no in-between or admired because of the amount of power that he was able to wield. Almost like Huey Long a little bit. Yeah. yeah. One, of the, one of the things that he uh, did help with is the establishment of Clemson. Uh, again, uh, Ben Tillman was an agricultural guy and was very successful uh, post-Civil War with his land holdings. And uh, he and a couple of other guys got together to promote this agricultural college that later became Clemson University. <laughs> Um, and at the conclusion of the Spanish-American War, um, well, Tillman favored the war with Spain, but he objected strongly to uh, bring uh, whatever um, whatever colonization uh, would be feared. So you're bringing in Cubans. We won the Spanish-American War. Now you got the Philippines, you got Cuba, you got Puerto Rico, but we don't want to bring those people, you know, into the Union because now you're just increasing the number of non-white um, voters. Uh, so he was opposed to that, but he was very much um, um, wanting to put a plaque at Clemson, uh, Clemson University to uh, remember the guys from the USS Maine, which was another so, lose yeah. reception kind of a thing. Well, that USS Maine plaque did make its way to Clemson, um, and the plaque was placed in the Memorial Chapel and is today in the lobby of Tillman Auditorium. No shit. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, unrest, if you will, um, about having an auditorium at Clemson's named after Tillman. That, that, that's why that I hate might, when they go after the founding fathers, where it's like, well, listen, that wasn't on their docket at the time. You can't judge them with twenty. You know, uh, you can't judge them with modern day glasses for ideas that they might have had that weren't relevant at the time. But then you can also look at a guy like Tillman. You're like, oh, he's pretty much clear cut in the open about how this is where the actual like inherent. Not even in here, but this is where the overwhelming, uh, blatant uh, behavior. He was a blatant monster, while other it's was pretty bad. Where right. others kind of realized and then corrected themselves. Yeah, it's uh, again, if you made 
George Washington faced those issues upon the inception of the country. And by the way, there was a lot of that argument there. You don't know what his opinions would have been on the matter, or if, if George if George Washington was around right now, and we tried to you know say, well, what do you talk to us about race relations? You don't know but what then, he's going to say. Yeah. But then at the same time, these guys also like you see with the actions they 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 fought on the right side of history. So I mean, understanding that you you cannot look through that through the modern 2020 lens it'll, oh, it's, it'll it's a full distortion nothing's right. black and white until some of the until shit until says, this motherfucker comes along it's like yeah i don't yeah uh, okay so he's imploring political violence i hate that okay oh he's dropping hard end bombs oh okay cool i mean it's a, and he's actually engaging in violence on yeah and he's not events he's not tweeting a rap lyric or something like some dumbass kid <laughs> right he is uh he's literally saying he's saying this pejorative word as he's calling for violence against them in a, a completely subhuman style of treatment. So it's, there's so it's no fair to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ben Tillman, I can't put any sort of rosy glasses. No, no, on no, no. No. I wasn't <laughs> trying to do that, but oh, I know that dude, I just wanted to uh, point out that, you know, uh, all of you uh, Clemsonites, might want to rethink uh, naming something uh, as Tillman Hall. Rename yeah. it what it should be. Clemson's greatest contribution, Trevor Lawrence. All right. <laughs> so I, th- I, I, I will make a suggestion for this episode. I don't even think who we said our loser was is the ultimate loser. I think it's this idiot. <laughs> I think it's Tillman. Tell him, well, he does. He comes off with. So Narciso loses because of the circumstances. Tillman is like, well, Jesus, man, you collected a lot of power during your day. You probably did a lot of good for some people as well. But what a what a villain! Yeah, a villain. <laughs> uh, so, how about Tillmanism, American loser? It's there. It's very much there. I will say this though, because um, uh, LP, do you have anything you want to wrap up with? No, that's uh, that's pretty much. Because apparently, I'm not even kidding, and there's no hate in my heart when I say this. Apparently, the Jewish Beach Boys are going to be playing a concert upstairs here at the Bellworks. <laughs> so we're trying to get out of here before maybe even the conference room gets a little bit too loud. Uh, I want to say thank you so much to the listeners of the show. If you are a Patreon member, it means the world to me. Thank you so much, guys. I have a huge, huge announcement coming up. We're literally just waiting on, I won't say his name because it'll get too obvious if I say his name, uh, but a mutual friend of uh, Kahuna and I's. I'm waiting for him to get back to me with confirmation on something. Uh, and then we're going to be, it's a huge, huge project. And you guys have been working with me on that since you got here. So if you're a diehard uh, American Loser fan, it means a lot to me, whether you're on the Patreon or not. I love you. Okay. So just keep paying attention here. I got more gigs coming up and stuff like that. Uh, this Saturday, I'll be in Eatontown with uh, my buddy Chris Stefano. I'll be doing some time on that show. Uh, I've got a couple of things coming up, but the big, big one, that announcement's coming soon. I never want to be a guy who teases an announcement doesn't give it, but I legally can't say anything yet. Shout out to the Kahuna above and beyond. Holy crap, buddy. We're in yeah. a conference room right now. You're making some stuff happen. I, I love you. Thank you for what you did today. No problem, dude. Yeah, right. right. Um, above and beyond. Lawrence Patrick, uh, you hurt your neck, your back, your... Pu- uh, no, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> and yo, crack. Um, Lawrence Patrick, thank you for gutting this one out, dude. Yeah. means a lot to me. means a lot to Narciso. Yeah. yeah. I give, give his uh, homage to uh, Narciso for speaking out for the little guy. He's a pretty interesting dude, man. So uh, I think we're going to bail on this one. you have anything you want to say on the way out, Dad? No. Uh, just there's one little irony here that uh, I thought was interesting, and we might throw it out there. It's ironic that in 1923, only five years after Tillman's death, Booker T. Washington's colleague and fellow professor at Tuskegee Institute, George Washington Carver, you might have heard that name before, was the first African-American guest lecturer at Clemson. 
Carver spoke to a full audience of nearly a thousand cadets in the chapel in the main administration building, later renamed Tillman Hall. Weird. <laughs> right? It is. Uh, pretty cool. Irony. Uh, I mean, a lot going on over there. So that's pretty cool, though. I thought this guy had a great story. I thought Tillmanism needed to get spoken about, too. I thought this was a good one, especially for on the fly here, guys. It's been the week from hell for me so far, right? And I hope you guys are doing okay out there. Um, like I said, the old man's dealing with some back problems here. The kahuna's solving every problem on planet Earth for me. So I should just be lucky and grateful that I got people to listen to this show and care about history the way that I like to and that you guys have been good to me on that one. So I'm trying to stay positive there. Follow me at, at American Loser Podcast. It's over on our Instagram. At KP Burke Sucks is my personal one. Uh, just I promote stand updates up there as well. Occasionally I'll put up something funny on a story. At KP Burke, not even at KP Burke, just KP Burke over on Facebook. It's where I'm posting jokes mostly, doing promo for these episodes, taking opinions for future topics as well. Anytime you guys hit me up, it means a lot to us. It really does. Uh, on that note, I'm going to end this one. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what we'll do, Kahuna. If you had to do a casting couch for Narciso, for Nar Narciso right now? Yeah, if you had to do one for him, because I'm looking for, in my head, I don't, I don't know why. Why do you do Oscar Isaacs? He's an interesting one. He's definitely, up, if I could go anywhere in time, that would be the guy who played, um, uh, what am I thinking of? The, the general, General Bison from Street Fighter. He was also in uh, Adam's Family. Oh, I know, I know exactly. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Raul. Raul? Raul. Yeah. Yes. I forget what his last Gomez name Gomez Adams. Gomez Adams was Raul. He was such a great, I would love to see him, uh, just the way he talked for him to even say, hi, I'm Narciso. It, would be <laughs> it was Raul uh, Julia. Raul Julia. There it is. Got yeah. It. Wow. Um, that's a good idea. I thought I would take that movie in a heartbeat, man. Um, but I will say this, uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Lawrence Patrick, thank you for everything you did. Kahuna. Uh, we're out of here guys. Thank you to Mike and Ming for making some shit work today. That was Narciso Gonzalez, American loser. the day I was born.